Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. We're thankful for your presence. We appreciate so much your willingness to be here tonight. We are thankful for the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. I do want to express appreciation to those of you that prepared food for the meal today. We had a great fellowship meal, and we had the opportunity to honor our graduates, and we have six graduates this year, and we wish them well, bid them Godspeed in their future endeavors. This is uh, somewhat of a changing of the guard, so to speak, in that our high school seniors will be moving on, and we will have a new group of seniors coming in, and we pray that they will continue to be a Christ-like example, not just here, but wherever they go. I was thinking a moment ago, if you want a foretaste of heaven, then you need to have the opportunity, like I do, to sit down front and to listen to these young folks sing. They do a great job, and I'm very thankful for them, thankful for their faith and for what they mean to the church here. If you're visiting, we're always glad that you come our way. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. I see that B.J. Clark and his family's with us tonight. We're glad to have B.J. and his family with us. B.J. and I have the opportunity to work together on CounterPoint. B.J. is also one of our regulars on GBN Live and appreciate so much the great work that he does and the opportunity that I have to work with him on a regular basis. Tonight we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6, specifically we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 10 beginning in verse 6 down through verse 16. We're going to be talking about the theme, Israel's wake-up call. There are times in life when circumstances will occur and those circumstances or situations can serve as a wake-up call. There's a great New Testament example that I think about from time to time. Luke 15, the prodigal son. You remember he had asked for his father's inheritance. The father granted his wish. And Jesus, in his narration of that story, tells us that the younger son gathered all together and then went out into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous or profligate living. After having spent everything, Jesus said, a severe famine swept the land. This man found himself, this young fellow found himself in a destitute situation. And I love what Jesus said in verse 17. This young man came to himself. That far country served as a wake-up call. If you go back to the Old Testament and you read the history of the nation of Israel, you'll find that from time to time there were wake-up calls. There were occasions when circumstances turned unfavorable for them. And it got their attention. And thus, they turned to God. I want to talk tonight for just a moment or two about Judges chapter 10. And here we have an instance 
whereby Israel is served a wake-up call. Now, if you read the book of Judges, one of the things that you'll notice is that the children of Israel, in a very cyclical way, are faithful to God, and then they would become unfaithful. They would cry out to God. He would send someone to deliver them. They would be relieved of their oppression, and then, a little bit later, back to their old ways again. So in Judges chapter 10, beginning in verse 6, we have, first of all, the behavior of Israel. In verse 6, the writer said, Then the children of Israel... Let me just pause there for a minute. There are some things that we need to consider about the children of Israel. The relationship that they enjoyed with Almighty God. They had a very distinct relationship with Jehovah God. As a matter of fact, we could talk about the intimacy of that relationship. For example, the Bible talks about how they were the recipients of God's love. You remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 7? God had said through Moses and the long ago that he had not set his love on them or chosen them because they were more in number than other people. But he said that he chose them because he loved them. Later in the history of the nation of Israel, God would say through Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 31, verse 3, God would say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loved the nation of Israel. God used that nation as a vehicle to bring the Christ into the world, the promised seed. And you can trace that seed line throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets pointed to the coming of the Messiah. They were pointing down in distant time to the coming of the Son of God who would save man from sin. In the New Testament, we have an affirmation the Christ has come in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then from Acts and following, the emphasis is on the Christ who will come. But nonetheless, God loved the children of Israel. Not only were they the recipients of his love, they were the recipients of his law. Back in Exodus chapter 19, after having delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, God reminded Moses what he had done on their behalf. He said, you have seen how I have borne the children of Israel on eagles' wings and brought them unto myself. And then he emphasized the covenant relationship, and that covenant was conditional in nature. He said, now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, he said, you'll be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God, of course, gave the law to the children of Israel. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3 that into their hands had been entrusted the oracles of God. Sometimes people think about the law of God and they view it from a restrictive vantage point. And really what God is doing is providing laws, boundaries, so to speak, to bless his people. 
What we ought to do is view the laws of God as that which has been intended for our good and for our blessing. When God says do not do something, there's a reason for that. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, it's interesting to me that God, through Moses, talks about the importance of honoring him and choosing life and living. And God, through Moses, said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. The nation would be blessed if they honored his law, and they would be cursed if they dis dishonored it. So God had a very intimate relationship with Israel. So we talk about the intimacy that Israel enjoyed with God, but then note, if you would, their idolatry. In Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments given, they were not to have any other gods before them. And yet in Judges chapter 10, listen to what the record says. Thus the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Let me just pause here. First of all, God was no longer the object of Israel's love. Secondly, God was no longer the object of Israel's labors. And the two go hand in hand. When people become unfaithful to God, one of the reasons is because there's no love. I think about the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 6 when he talked about how God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. God had said through Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He said, these words which I commend you today shall be in your heart. And then he said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Think about that. They were to love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. That is, with every fiber of being that they had. Jehovah God was to be at the apex of their lives. And yet, they supplanted God with idols. Sometimes we allow the affection, affections and the things of this world to crowd out our love for God. And when that love is replaced by the things of the world, then you can just mark it down. Our labor for the cause of Christ will cease. The Bible says that they served the Baals, they forsook the Lord, and they did not serve him. Think about that commentary for a minute. God had lavished his blessings upon them. God had been good to the children of Israel. And you can go back and you can read the history. God's people sadly turned their back on him time and again. They paid a terrible price for that. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. It has to do with the burden of Israel. In verse 7, listen if you would to what the writer has to say by way of the character 
of God in light of Israel's actions. Think with me for a moment about the anger of God. In verse 7, the Bible says, So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We've sinned against you because you've both forsaken our God and served, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you? And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. I want you to just zero in on that thought for a minute in verse 7. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. There have been times in my life when I have made people angry. I think about as a young fellow growing up in Chattanooga, there were some times when I drew my father's wrath. He was not happy with me. And he let me know how unhappy he was. And there were times when he made a severe impression on my backside to let me know how displeased he was with my conduct. I deserved it. I needed it. And I think it helped me. Sometimes people focus on the goodness and the mercy and the love of God, and we need to do that. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the love and the mercy and the compassion of Almighty God. I believe that. I preach that. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. God has blessed the human family immensely. And yet in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Paul would say, Behold, the goodness and severity of God. There are two sides. God is good. I would freely grant that. But there is a side that we also must consider. The severity of God. The fact that God can voice his displeasure. You remember Jonah the prophet? God had sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh. Initially, Jonah resisted, and later he followed the will of God, went to Nineveh. There was a great revival in that city. The people turned to God, and God relented and spared those people because they repented of their actions. About a hundred years later, there was another prophet that came on the scene, a man by the name of Nahum. And Nahum began prophesying a burden against the city of Nineveh, Nineveh, that city that Jonah in the long ago had reached or converted. And Nahum began his oracle against the Ninevite people 
by talking about how the Lord avenges, and then listen to what he says in about verse 2, and is furious. There may be some people that you make mad, that you draw anger from in this life. But let me tell you what, you do not want to make God angry. You do not want to be on the receiving end of his fury. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they need to think about that. I hear people talking about God would never do this and God would never do that and we ought to just be able to do as we please. Let me tell you what, that may sound good, but really the question ought to be, what does the book say? What does the Bible say? Because God has set some parameters. If we step outside the boundaries of his will, then we're in trouble. The nation of Israel found out. Please listen very carefully. God doesn't play. When God says he's angry, when God says he's furious, he means it. And he'll take action, as he did in days gone by. So I think about the anger of the Lord. And then there's a second thing, the attitude of the Lord. Note if you would, first of all, in verse 13, there is a change that takes place in the Lord's attitude. Now, back in verse 12, the Lord had reminded the children of Israel how he had delivered them from those who oppressed them. But I want you to look at verse 13. He said, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, that is, in light of that fact, I will deliver you no more. When God says no more, do you know what that means? Think about that for a minute. In the past, God said, I've delivered you. Time and again, God had been there for his people. And now God says, you know what? I've had enough. I will deliver you no more. That's enough. Sometimes as parents, our children will do things. And they will, from time to time, push it to the limit. And there comes a point in time when you draw a line in the sand, don't you? And you say, you know what? No more. You're not going to do this again and get by with it. Now, if we talk about the change in the Lord's attitude, I want you to note also the consequences in the Lord's actions. Look at verse 14. He said, go and cry out to the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Let me just pause here for a minute. God has just said, I will deliver you no more. You ever thought about what life would be if God were to say, you know what, I will bless you no more. Every blessing that we enjoy in this life, the air that we breathe is because of a loving God in heaven that upholds all things by the word of his power. The water that we drink 
Every material and physical and mental blessing that we have comes from Jehovah God, does it not? What if God were to strip us of all of those blessings? The psalmist said in the long ago, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits or blessings. James said, Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. Without those blessings, we would have nothing. And then you factor in all of the spiritual blessings that we enjoy. What if God were to just cut us off from every spiritual blessing that's in Christ based on Ephesians 1.3? No more pardon from sin. No more presence. That is the presence of God in our lives. No more prayer. No more peace. Those are just some of the blessings that we enjoy in Christ. And yet, what if God said no more? And then the consequences. God said, go and cry out to the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you. Go back with me again to Luke 15. You remember the prodigal son? You remember how, as I mentioned a moment ago, he spent everything. A severe famine swept the land and the Bible says he began to be in want. And there is a statement made that ought to resonate with all of us. Jesus said, and no man gave unto him. Now you think about that prodigal son out here living like there is no God. And just doing as he pleases. Living, as we would say, a life of party. That's what he wanted. He wanted to go out and enjoy the pleasures of the world, and that's what he did. He took everything his father had given him, he went out and blew it. And yet, when all the money ran out, Jesus said no one gave to him. When you get out here and rip and run with the world, and you're a member of the body of Christ, and you're acting like a person in the world, and you get in trouble? My suggestion, ask the people that you were running with. Ask them to help you. Ask them to bail you out. Get them to intervene on your behalf. When I was a teenager, a friend of mine lived across the street from me, his father had been killed in the military. His family received a large sum of money. And unfortunately, this young man received a large sum of money, 18 years old. And when you're 18 years old and you get the keys to the kingdom, sometimes you act foolishly, don't you? This fella lived like there was no tomorrow. Went out and bought him a sports car. Had friends over all the time. I can't tell you how many people were running with him on a daily basis. And he was going back and forth to Florida and he was carrying people back and forth with him. An entourage as we would say. Before long, you know what happened? 
All that money, gone. Do you know where those friends were after the money was gone? They were gone. Now, after a period of time, he had hit rock bottom. And there, were, there was nothing. He had nothing. It would have been easy to have said to him, where are your friends? All the people that used you, so to speak. They used you, they got what they wanted, and then guess what? They threw you to the curb. That's what the world will do with you. You get out and you live like the prodigal son and you act like the prodigal, over a period of time, the world will take everything you have. They'll take your dignity. They'll take your reputation. They'll take whatever money, whatever material goods you have, and then they will throw you to the curb. The nation of Israel, they went out and lived as if there was no God. They were living as if Jehovah God, the one that had blessed him so richly, didn't matter anymore. So God said, enough. God said, here's what you need to do. You need to go and cry out to those, those idols that you've been serving. Let them help you. Let them deliver you. Sometimes we, like Israel of old and like the prodigal son, make foolish, foolish mistakes. So I think about their burden, but then the blessings of Israel. I want, you to, I want you to look with me, if you would, at verses 15 and 16. First, the confession to God. Now, God had just said to these people, I will deliver you no more. You go and cry out to the God you've been serving. You've been acting as if I don't exist. You've forgotten about your relationship to me. Go and serve them. Get them to help you. Get them to bail you out. So the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. That's what God wanted to hear. We have sinned. Note if you would that admission. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. Their admission. Before anyone can ever be helped who's living in sin, you know what has to happen? Got to be a wake-up call. Like the prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 17, and he came to himself. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, Paul is talking about a servant of the Lord that would go to someone and begin reasoning with that person to try to get them out of a life of sin. And in verse 26 he says that they may come to their senses. Israel had to come to her senses before she could come back. You can't help a drug addict until he or she comes to, comes to his or her senses. You can throw money at them. You can do everything you possibly can to help them. But let me tell you what, until they realize they are a drug addict, 
can't be helped. I've seen it. When people are living in sin, whatever the sin, until they come to that awareness of where they are, just like the prodigal, the Bible says he came to himself. When that light goes off, guess what? It's time to go home. That's what happened to the prodigal. That's what happened to the children of Israel. They said, we have sinned. So I think about their admission, and then note, if you would, their actions. Verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. You know what that's called? Repentance. A change of heart. Demonstrated by changed actions. Here's what the Bible says. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We ought to be grateful that God will forgive and that God will take us back. I have seen people, I've known people, and I suspect you have as well, that have had marital difficulties. And there are occasions when one of the mates, whether it be the husband or the wife, becomes unfaithful. The innocent party has the right, but not the obligation to put them away. The guilty party, realizing the magnitude of their transgression, asks, Will you take me back? Sometimes the innocent says yes. Sometimes they say no. God in heaven, when we turn to him, he will take us back. Listen again to what the text says. The children of Israel said to the Lord, we've sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. That last sentence, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel, speaks to us of the compassionate God in heaven that we serve. There's a great passage of scripture found in the book of Lamentations. Where Jeremiah said in the long ago, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. He said, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Aren't you thankful for a compassionate God that will take you back? In the prodigal son in Luke, in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The Bible says that when that young fellow made his way home, while he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He had compassion on him and kissed him and said, this my son was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. Two things very quickly. When I think about the compassionate nature of God, and the fact that he will take us back. Sometimes we need to be awakened. God promises to forgive, doesn't he? Those who are out in the world have never obeyed the gospel. They have to understand that God will forgive them. 
Sometimes I know that there are people in the world that have the idea there's no way God in heaven would ever forgive some of the things that have gone on in their lives. But the truth of the matter is God will forgive. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. God is a merciful God. God will forgive. And then it says, and their sins and their iniquities or lawless deeds, I will remember no more. What God is saying is he'll forgive and he'll forget in the sense that he will no longer hold those things against us. Israel was served with a wake-up call. They needed to be awakened. And sometimes we too need a wake-up call. We need to understand that God means what he says and says what he means. As I mentioned a moment ago, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here tonight and that light has gone off in your mind and you realize I've been outside a covenant relationship with God too long, it's time to come home. You've, if you've never obeyed the gospel, I would encourage you to come to Christ. Here's what you need to do. First, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Hebrews 11, verse 7. And then be willing to repent. That is, turn from a life of sin. Acts 2, verse 38. Confess the name of Jesus as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized or immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away. Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. You have to be in the church because the saved are in the church, Ephesians 5.23. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, I would hope and pray that you've taken inventory of your life and that this lesson has served as a wake-up call to you. I want to ask you, is the world really that much fun? Is it really that much fun? When you think about all the blessings and favors that you're missing out on, I know that, I know that the Hebrew writer talks about the pleasures of sin. But listen very carefully. If you weigh the two out, living for God, living for the world, living for God, only way to go. Jesus asked this question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So tonight, if you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, could we pray with you and for you? And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.